Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, You must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Revelation 10, 8-11 Welcome to Tell Me the Story with Blaze Webster and Rowdy Wind. Join us for a weekly study of the Bible as we read verse by verse with the original context and languages at the forefront, illuminating the stories at hand. Hello. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him, and bring a curse upon myself, not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Obey my voice, and go bring them to me. So in this section, we hear about the ultimate blow against the authors and the audience of the scriptural message. The character who becomes the namesake of Israel achieves the status by deceit and mistreatment of the lowly neighbor, which in this case is Isaac, who is in a vulnerable and compromised state. This section also sheds light on Rebekah's name, referring to a stall meant to tie up an animal. So like the Mesopotamian culture she hails from, her name refers to a trap she is setting for all three characters involved. She's trapping Isaac into giving the inheritance to Esau, She's trapping Jacob into eventual servitude under her brother Laban, and she is trapping Esau out of his inheritance as firstborn. Esau is not off the hook, however, because he is the one who sold it ahead of time. Isaac remains the only victim, mistreated like the scapegoat in Leviticus 16 and the suffering servant of Isaiah. Yeah, and the parallel is even greater than that, because back in chapter 24, Isaac was the sacrificial lamb for God before God changed his mind and told Abraham to abstain from slaughtering his son. It's also interesting that Isaac is such an obedient character, which was foreshadowed by him being the sacrificial lamb, fully ready to embrace death if it meant satisfying God's command, and his obedience is likewise on display. In this chapter, he is never out for his own interests. He simply submits to the situation he has dealt. 
This section is really interesting because Jacob is once again essentially acting in a manner similar to the serpent in Genesis 3. The emphasis on his smooth skin as opposed to Esau's hairy skin I feel is no coincidence. It just goes to show how critical even the first four chapters of Genesis are for understanding the entire biblical narrative. Jacob represents Israel, but like Israel, he imitates the serpent who embodies regality in Greek philosophy, just like how Israel will spit in the face of the scriptural God by installing a human monarchy. Much like a monarchy, Rebecca abuses her role as mother to essentially force the hand of her younger son against her older son. Again, God gives authority to the elder, and especially the parent over the younger, but that authority comes with tremendous responsibility. And it's a responsibility that is ultimately judged by God. All of this conflict was masterfully introduced in the names of Bethuel's kinsmen. Also, the two young goats, I can't help but see a parallel with the two goats in the book of Leviticus. You had one which was the sacrificial offering, and then another goat which was sent out into the wilderness with the sins of Israel. This being, of course, the scapegoat. In the pericope of the suffering servant in Isaiah 40-55, to it is clear that that said servant, who is embodied in Isaac, is representing both of these goats. The suffering servant suffers at the hand of his kinsmen and others not because he is unrighteous, but because he is righteous. To walk with God is to walk against the grain of the world, and when one does that, tension arises. When one relies on God and doesn't fight back, the ungodly will naturally take advantage of this perceived weakness and take advantage of the meekness of the servant. Isaac is being taken advantage of in this manner. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of her son Jacob. So this, I can't help but see, is opposed to Isaac being the obedient sacrificial lamb, because here his son Jacob is not an obedient sheep like his father, but a goat, as his mother commands him to wear the furs of slaughtered goats. Remember the distinction between goats and sheep. Sheep are dumb and obedient. They listen to the shepherd. Goats are disobedient and do whatever they want. That is why Christ says the sheep will be gathered to one side and the goats to the other. Right, and that brings us to another point related to the suffering servant, uh, which ties him to the two goats in, in Leviticus, and that bears to mind um, why they are specifically goats and not sheep if the goats are representing the condemned. But the whole point of the suffering servant is to take on the function of the condemned in place of the condemned. So it's it's very masterfully all tied up in the, uh, the book of Isaiah, and, and we can see that in Isaac's functionality, where he is the obedient lamb, but he's also taking on the function of the goat, taking on the function of the other goats, the goats that are condemned, uh, and, and bearing that, uh, that weight, essentially. And, and even with Isaac representing the 
raham, right, the emaciated lamb, uh, in the lexicon, that word can also refer to a goat. So that functionality can uh, go either way there. So just an interesting point. It reminds me a lot of uh, when St. Paul in the book of Galatians talks about Christ becoming a curse for the sake of the faithful. Um, you know, he died on a curse and became a curse for us, right? It's that type of language. So I also, in conjunction with that, I want to hammer in the parallel with the Genesis 3 as, as well. Rebecca uses the skins of the slaughtered goats as garments to cover Jacob's smooth skin. Remember that the smooth skin, a la Genesis 3, represents wisdom, as it's a trait shared by both the man and the serpent. This is evident with the word arumim, referring to Adam and Eve being naked, and the word arom, referring to the cunningness of the serpent, being very clearly related words. In other words, like the serpent before him, Jacob is misusing his wisdom and is using it to cheat against his brother and usurp his right to the inheritance. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. I feel that we have harped on this issue enough in recent episodes, so I will simply reference it without going on an entire tangent. We have to hear this story for how it presents itself, which is that Jacob and his mother Rebekah are swindling Esau out of his inheritance, and Isaac, the disabled old man, into unwilling corroboration. Just because we project our egos into the story and we maybe like Jacob, the underdog, the younger brother, does not mean that we can excuse his actions. The fact of the matter is that the coming nation and kingdom take their name from a swindler, a con man, and one who foolishly perseveres against God. But that story is yet to be told. What is worse of all, is that in this chapter, Jacob outright lies about being blessed by the Lord. He uses the Lord's name in vain for the sake of his own benefit. And that is about one of the worst things you can do as a person. When Isaac asks how Jacob was able to hunt and prepare the food so quickly, he says, because Yahweh, your God, granted me success. This is not who we as the readers should want to be the father of the coming people. But we are subject to the story. It is what it is, and this is what we are being told. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. 
May God give you of the dew of heaven, and of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This section, I think, is really making fun of Israel's very foundation. In other words, any military victory they may have, or anything that gives them legitimacy in the eyes of other nations, is only due to this one act of treachery by Israel's founding father. It's not something that was ordained by God, or even commanded by him. It is, in a sense, illegitimate. This is wildly against the grain, literarily. What other culture would delegitimize themselves in this manner? It's absolutely insane, but we have to always remember that scripture is written against not only the enemies of the authors, but against the authors themselves. Yeah, it's like contrary to the Greco-Roman mindset of whenever you are conquered, you say that your conqueror was more Greek than we were since we were conquered. Alexander, yeah. Yeah. Whereas here they're saying our ancestors were were wicked and undeserving of the people that they uh, bore, which is us. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, then Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Isaac's response in this passage is really interesting. He gets very reasonably angry, but he doesn't revoke the blessing he gave to Jacob. I suppose that I could be wrong, but it's unlikely that revoking a blessing was impossible any more than taking back a gift is impossible. But Isaac doesn't do that. He realizes he was tricked, and he accepts his circumstances, because his entire character is defined by this pattern. Isaac is inconvenienced. Isaac accepts being inconvenienced. Isaac is wronged. He accepts the wrongdoing. Esau is unhappy about this, and we can sympathize with him, but it doesn't change the fact that Isaac accepts the situation and just deals with Esau accordingly. And the way he does contains a minute blessing in and of itself, that when Esau grows restless with Jacob's lordship, he can break the yoke from his neck, 
which is telling because Jacob's character is defined in his name. As Esau says, is he not rightly named Jacob? He is the one who grasps the heel of his older brother, the one that is more deserving of the blessing because he is the usurper. He is the swindler. And Isaac is telling Esau that it will not always be that way. And when comes the time, Esau can break the yoke that Jacob has over him. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? This passage is pretty straightforward, like the rest of the chapter, so there isn't much to add. The entire chapter feels a lot like a soap opera. It's very dramatic. Esau desires to kill his brother for what he has done, and this is obviously a callback to Cain and Abel. Fratricide plagues human existence as greed inspires the hearts of men to despise their brothers. Goodbye. This podcast is a production of the Ephesus School Network.